0: Hi everyone, this is Diana, co-founder and CMO of The Holistic Panda. This is our podcast where we interview holistic practitioners and coaches and inspiring leaders from the AAPI community to share with you all things wellness-related. We hope you leave with little nuggets of wisdom that can help improve your lives and well-being. On this episode, we chat with Dr. Asad John-Salini, a board-certified family physician and burnout and resiliency coach. Having burnt out twice, he felt inspired to create rest while coaching to help others restore balance into their lives. We dig deep into what burnout is, the feelings of shame and guilt around rest, how to find balance in the hustle corporate culture and the danger of chronic sleep deprivation, and more. Hope you enjoy! Hey, let's do this. Well, so excited to do this podcast interview with Dr. Azad, um, John Salini. Is that how you say your last name?
1: Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. And I'm so excited to have you join the Holistic uh, Panda as a practitioner. I think we have began this conversation almost a year ago. And when we first met, I just knew right away that you just have such a great energy great background, and great mission. Um, So we'd really love to learn more about the services that you offer through Restwell Coaching. But -hmm. I guess before we dive in, um, I read in your bio that in addition to being a clinical physician, you spent some time at monasteries learning meditation and you have over 30 years of um, experience with meditation. So can you share a little bit about that, what that was like?
1: Yeah, sure, I I, I love to talk about this. I guess I can start with, um, like silent meditation for me has been a really helpful guide and a deep resource for me since I was a child. Um, And uh, my late aunt Wendy uh, was a Buddhist and she started teaching me uh, to sit when I was nine years old. Um, And then as I got a little bit older um, in middle school, she would take me to a monastery in the mountains of West Virginia. Um, I'm from DC originally, so I grew up. So we would drive from DC to West Virginia Virginia to a monastery um, for like two-day silent retreats over the weekends. Um, And that was middle school. And there's one thing I I have funny stories from interacting with monks at at the the monasteries. Um, And there was one time uh, one of the monks was giving a Dharma talk in the evening about becoming a spectator to your own sensations while meditating. Um, And I think I was, I don't know, I was 13 at the time. And, you know, one way he was teaching us to practice this kind of thing was by observing an itch during meditation. Um, And rather than scratching it, um, learning to watch that itch, that sensation with the mind, um, because like all things, it will inevitably change and suddenly there's no more itch. So, you know, I really appreciate that I was exposed to um, this way of life and trained to meditate at a very early age, I feel like it's the greatest gift anyone has ever given me.
0: Yeah. So do you have a daily practice? I presume you do with meditation.
1: Yes, I do. I do. do. And like, you know, it's, it can be hard for lay persons like us, people that are not ordained monks and nuns to maintain a consistent practice. And so some people, you know, start meditating and they realize they're not doing it consistently and they feel like a failure. It's not necessarily about consistency. And see or about every day. Um, it's about sort of like what you are learning each time you're meditating. And so yeah. even if you miss out a few days, you're here and there, I'm not perfect with it either. It's still, you know, the goal is not perfection.
0: You know? Yeah. Do you meditate both morning and night or do you, or like, does it vary day by day or? And how long um, do you
1: plan for yeah all of that can vary yeah. if i am sitting uh, more than once a day it's usually on the ends of the day um in the morning and evening but usually it's just once a day and i like to start my day with a mindfulness practice and for me that's meditation um and your other question was how long do i sit i like to make it very very accessible and so you know as a practicing physician sometimes i'm pressed for time Um, And some people, you know, if you can't sit for 20 minutes, they're not going to sit at all. Sometimes I'll sit for 10 minutes. Sometimes I'll sit for 15. Sometimes I'll sit for 45. Um, Whatever it takes to work it into that day is what I do. Um, And it makes me feel really good about the practice because, you know, at least I was able to do it, even if not for 45 minutes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's great. And so switching gear, I really want to talk about Gresswell Coaching and you started it, I, I checked on your LinkedIn, you started it last year. So it's a very new business, similar to art. And mm-hmm. I'm just curious what made you decide to, to start this and you're still, you're still practicing medicine, correct? So this is something mm-hmm. that you're doing on the side. So like what I'm curious to see what made you decide to make that, um, not even transition, but make that, you know, take that lead to, to create what Gresswell Coaching.
1: Uh, yeah, it's, you know, personal experience with burnout is really the impetus for this entire, um, venture. I am somebody who, you know, I, I, I had trouble, you know, with, I think like the workloads and the pressure in uh, our healthcare system. And so, you know, I left my medical profession twice, actually, I re-entered the medical profession twice and I burned out twice. Wow. So, you know, the second time around, I realized that, you know, I need to change something, you know what I mean? And so what I realized was that I had been informally coaching patients of mine for years, um, you know, not just talking to them about their blood pressure and high cholesterol, but also doing motivational interviewing and helping people with life changes. Um, and then um, I met our mutual associate uh, Joyce. And she let me know that, you know, coaching is actually something that, you know, you can make into a profession, into a business. People get paid just to do that. Um, and so really in terms of me finding balance uh, with uh, uh, my work life, I was able to scale back the number of clinical hours I'm doing to something that's a little bit more
2: yeah.
1: reasonable for me. Yeah. And the other, you know, part of the time I, um, uh, I do coaching, and so I'd t- like to tell clients when I first start out with them is that I found balance by now helping other people find the same kind of balance.
0: That's amazing, and I want to share a short story. I actually experienced burnout also multiple times and throughout my career, and even last year when I left my full-time corporate job and to do the holistic panda like full-time, I thought, okay, this is it. Like it's my dream job. Like I'm gonna be life is gonna be great now. And actually, I experienced burnout last year. Like extreme burnout, and mm-hmm. I think people often think, "Oh, burnout won't happen if you're at your dream job." It's only when you're like, you know, in in a in a corporate job with like long hours and stress. And I realize that's not the case at all. Like burnout can happen at any point at any job, even you're you're working at something that you're super passionate about. So, but with that, can you explain a little bit a bit about what burnout is because it it's a difference. There's a difference between burnout and like stress and anxiety, right? Like burnout is specifically related to, to, to work, and in your job. Right.
1: Um, yeah. So to just the question, like what is burnout? I think that different healthcare professionals and different coaches are going to have slightly different definitions yeah. of burnout, but we're all sort of talking about the same thing in my experience. Uh, burnout is, I would say it's a state of being continually exhausted, mm. uh, in a situation that you feel like you can't change.
2: Okay. Um,
1: that is a very general definition, but as it applies to like work, you can sort of understand you can feel stuck and overworked and exhausted um i would say like when you're feeling like this and you're no longer able to enjoy the things that you want to enjoy you know ask yourself if you're burning out at work Um, if you're feeling like this and you're experiencing stress somatically and by that i mean having physical manifestations of the stress could be migraines muscle cramps upset stomach insomnia ask yourself if you're burning out Um, it can present in a lot of different ways Um, but, you know, in the work that I do, it's mainly work related.
0: So we, you know, we live into this grind culture where I think the whole concept of like hustling hard to succeed is so glorified, right? Especially if you live in New York. I feel like I used to live in New York. I felt like that was like the MO in New York, especially if you work in like stress, high stressful industries, like banking, for instance, like if yeah. you sleep, that you're you're not making money, you're not being productive. So I'm wondering what is your take on that? Do you think it's possible to be successful in life and to have thriving lives and you know achieve all the goals that we want without you know this this whole concept of like hustling hard?
1: Yeah, you know it's like it's a really great question um, because it's a question that like people ask themselves maybe a little too far into their career when they've always yeah. already made some major yeah. decisions. Um, you know, yes, I do think it is possible to succeed without hustling. You know, certain things demand more of a grind. And more self-sacrifice and other pursuits demand less of a hustle hard lifestyle. It just depends on, on on what you want to do with your life. Yeah. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is there is no work life balance equation that works for everyone. It needs to be tailored to like your needs and to your own aspirations, and it's like highly variable. Obviously, yeah. um, my work is with clients is to help you establish a mixture of practices and balance of work and fulfillment that will lead you to the best relationship between like relationship to your time and relationship to your work. You know um, I also think it's worth addressing that many people don't feel welcome to this conversation about burnout um, either because they don't want to step away from their work or don't yeah. want to ramp down the number of hours they're working or they can't. Uh, which yeah. is an equity issue. I can't tell a single mom that is working two jobs to, you know, scale back her hours yeah. because she cannot. Um, she has to support herself and her dependents. In um, my practice, is about recognizing the very real limits, um, very limits that keep people feeling stuck, yeah. but also to help you establish, even in very small ways, yeah. your own sense of dignity in your work, because I think that's what burnout does. It robs us of our dignity in our work, you know, yeah. even people that really enjoy their jobs now that enjoyment from you and can, can take that sense of identity from you. Cause a lot of us identify with our professions, but when it starts to harm us or feel like it's preventing us from enjoying the rest of our lives, you know, it's, it's, it's about dignity. And I think the work is really powerful because we help people to reestablish that.
0: I think that another thing with burnout is the shame associated with it. Like, I feel like if I'm not, like I mentioned last year, I was very burnt out and at moments I wasn't enjoying work anymore. And I was like, what is wrong with me? Why am I, why am I feeling this way? I felt guilty. And there was shame in feeling that way. Mm-hmm. And eventually I had to take a break. I had to take a two week um, vacation towards the end of the year. Cause I need to reset. And I, there was a lot of shame and guilt with that too, taking rest So I wonder when clients come to you, are they on the verge of burnout or have they already experienced burnout? And, you know, I'm sure that when you tell them that they need to kind of pause and, you know, recharge and take, take, take a break or rest, there's a lot of, you know, shame and guilt and, you know, difficulty to do that. Like, how do you help them reshift their mindset?
1: Yeah, um, a lot. I would say most of the people I work with arrive with a mindset of shame towards or feeling undeserving of reward yeah and includes rest um so in working with someone to reframe or adjust the mindset um i have a process and i like to start by helping you understand and identify your shame triggers um around rest and worthiness um and once we get to you know bring that we bring that into the room you know we start talking about what is really there that is that that maybe from your past or from other experiences or from your culture or whatever it is that is contributing to you feeling less than worthy of a certain thing. Yeah. Um, after that, you know, I really stress with my clients um, helping them to develop self-compassion, which is defined as um, by one of my favorite researchers, Dr. Kristen Neff. It's a combination of three things, self-kindness, Common humanity and mindfulness. Um, self-kindness is pretty self-explanatory. Common humanity is an acknowledgement that we are not alone uh, in this process and in feeling this. Um, and mindfulness is um, there are a lot of different definitions of mindfulness, but you know, Dr. Kristin Neff defines mindfulness as uh, being able to feel what we're feeling very strongly and very deeply without over-identifying with it. Mm-hmm. So. A lot of people are new to mindfulness practices and that's, you know, something that I can help people to uh, further understand. So after we, you know, help the person really develop more self-compassion, which is a new concept for a lot of people. um, The next stage is to release negative attachments and self-blame because shame like really sits in a lot of that. Um, And then finally, you know, I like to help people literally reset shame triggers. With um, daily actions and self generosity that defy the triggers. By this, I mean, you know, for example, treating yourself for no reason. Right. You know, um, I don't have to earn this thing before getting the, the other right. thing. You know, a concept pioneered by Dr. Brené Brown is yeah. there are no prerequisites for worthiness. So you know, we all arrive worthy. Another thing she loves to say, I quote Brené Brown all the time because I think she changed my life. She says we either we either show up and own our stories or we stand outside of our stories and we hustle for our worthiness. And there's a lot there. It's a few words, but it's real deep. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah. helping people to really understand um, worthiness and the fact that it's already there. It's not something that someone has to give us or that we have. Yeah. To earn. Yeah.
0: Man, I'm getting like teary, like just like hearing you say this, because I think especially in the Asian culture, self-compassion, I feel like it's so it's not common, you know, I think in the, you part, you know, Asian as well, and maybe you can relate to this, but I mean, growing up, I think a lot of Asians can, can relate that it's, you know, the work hard hustle mentality. I mean, granted that a lot of our, you know, we, we are either immigrants or children of immigrants. So I think that's the immigrant mentality. Like you have to work really, really hard and climb the corporate ladder because it's almost like we're on survival mode. And I, I get that, but it's, yeah, because of that, I think, we're almost operating on autopilot mode. And I never really pause and think, oh, I need to be self compassionate. It's okay for me to have these feelings. It's okay for me to want to rest. It's almost that's a right, right? Like, so yeah, for you to say all of this right just now, I just kind of got like teary like, oh, it's almost like it's okay. I'm worthy and I need to be kinder to myself. So
1: it was really quickly when we start being kind to ourselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So how do you, you know, you mentioned your framework for helping working with your clients to break, you know, cycles of burnout. What are some strategies that we can implement to prevent burnout? And also what if someone has already experienced extreme burnout, can they recover from it?
1: Yeah. So two part question. Um, what are some strategies to prevent burnout? Because, you know, a lot of my work is rescue from burnout, like, yeah. you know, getting people out of this yeah. and, and, and some of it is is prevention. I'm, you know, meeting people who are not all the way burnt out, but they see themselves heading down that way. You know, you have to, to really prevent burnout, you have to develop a self-awareness that some of us who come from cultures that really, really push and really, really value work and toil, we're not paying close enough attention to ourselves and listening to the signals the body is giving us um, as to like what the stress of work or the amount of hours is actually doing to us. So I would say start with like a self-awareness. If you don't feel burnt out right now, but you're like, you know, you know about the idea, you're cognizant that this happens to people, start really paying attention to how you're feeling in the work you're doing. And then also start paying attention to your body and what's happening to your body, the more you work. Some people, you know, will respond well to lots of hours and lots of work. And some people will not, and they'll develop symptoms or mental health uh, becomes somewhat compromised. You know, Uh, happiness goes down, sense of contentment or satisfaction. Um, in worst case, you know, uh, more severe cases, anxiety, depression, stuff like that can all come out of burnout. So those are, you know, be some ways to really avoid it. Um, and to not subscribe to an attitude, or maybe you can even call it a culture, a work culture of just suck it up, just deal with it. Everyone before you did it like this. So you have to do it like this very much like that in medicine, you know, there's a way to take care of yourself. Um, and the second part of your question was, if someone is just completely burnt out, is recovery possible or what, you know, is that, was that the question or?
0: Yeah. Is it possible to recover? I mean, I presume it it is, but is the journey yeah. of recovery like really long or. Yeah. I mean,
1: I wouldn't be in business if it wasn't possible. <laughs> um, I also wouldn't be doing what I was doing, what I'm doing, if it wasn't yeah. possible because yeah. I am a recovered, you know, burnt out person, burnt out professional. What's the
0: first thing you tell them um, to do. Like if someone coming, it's like, they're like, I just can't like even get out of bed anymore because I'm just so exhausted and I don't have joy in anything I do.
1: Yeah. Have
0: you witnessed extreme cases like that where someone is like- Of course,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, People, I, you know, I have clients that arrive fully depressed, clinically depressed. Yeah. Um, And I have clients that, you know, arrive in a panic attack. You know, I've had a client that had a panic attack during our session, you know, so it, the, the spectrum is wide in terms yeah. of like how, you know, where people arrive. The first thing I tell them is that basically, you know, and not to co-opt this in the wrong way, but me too. Yeah. You know, I understand where you are. I went through it. And then the next thing I tell them is that there is a way out. Not just that, yeah, I know what it feels like, but that there is a way out. Like I walked that path and I can help you, you know, um, really one of the most meaningful things you can say to somebody in crisis, this is also a Brene Brown quote is, is me too. So that, that is like what I start with is definitely just empathy. My work doesn't, uh, isn't effective if I don't have a good therapeutic connection with a client. And so it's, you know, it's paramount. It's the first thing I want to do is to establish that connection, that understanding, that trust. Yeah. Um, answering the rest of your question was, you know, what's the process like? Is getting out of burnout a really long process? It doesn't have to be. You know, some people are ready to make very real or very radical change in their lives. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times doing that will bring you out of burnout faster. Yeah. Um, but for some of us, me included, we're not able to make such swift changes because there are other things that, you know, at play or other people that depend on us or whatever is going on. And so, you know, there is a process and you can map it out in terms of like making strategic changes that allow you to make bigger changes later.
0: You brought up a a point that I want to kind of ask you more about. You said, you know, there are certain work cultures that really glorify, you know, like, um, you know, the hustle, the hustle culture that we mentioned. And for instance, in, in medicine, you said that is like the norm. So how do we, how do we defy that? Because Isn't it our inherent, like inherent within human beings to want to belong, to want to become the collective? So, you're essentially, so are we essentially sort of defying that and being like, how do we say no to that without feeling like, oh, we're being an outcast or an outlier and that we're not being part of the group? And because I I presume that must be also really hard for people to Mm. do. It's like, okay. I really want to take care of myself. I want to maintain, have balance. And I really want to, to, to take take care of my well being. but then I belong in a work culture that doesn't see that doesn't see the value in that. So how do I, like, how, I wonder if do you have any strategies to for people to to navigate that?
1: Yeah. You know, I, it's a really great question. How do we succeed in uh, grind work cultures while trying to really take care of ourselves and avoid burnout? Um, I think that in certain environments, it's more challenging um, and it, that can be very dispiriting because you're like, well, my profession is like this. Like, where do I go? How do I work if I want to actually, you know, take good care of myself and not burn out? Um, and I felt like that earlier in my medical career and there, you know, I had the privilege of working in a bunch of different environments, yeah. vastly different parts of the country as well. And, you know, there are, I can speak to, you know, for medicine specifically, yeah. there are practices, there are groups of physicians and nurses and other health practitioners that do believe, that take this seriously and do yeah. believe avoiding, uh, you know, the harmful effects of burnout yeah. and who, who structure their practices and, you know, their work in a way that, that prevents that. I mean, that's very progressive for the medical environment. Um, but there are places, you know, that do talk about that on the interview, that yeah. do, you know, address that in their meetings. Yeah. So uh, I can't speak to like other industries yeah. uh, and what's possible necessarily, but I do very much commiserate. I understand yeah. that it can really limit your ability to progress yeah. in that environment if you're not buying in and practicing a certain culture.
0: Yeah. I think this is definitely a top-down approach that like leaders of companies need to, you know, I think they are aware of it. You know, we're going through like a big, great um, resignation where people are leaving. Yeah. You know, I think, especially in tech, you know, like luring your, your employees with, um, you know, like great, like um, cafeterias or perks like that, no longer really, they're not hmm. really seen as perks anymore. So I think, Definitely, this is something that um, hopefully, you know, um, work culture everywhere will will start to change. So you also talked about, you know, something called rest is a form of resistance. I really, really want to explore that. Yeah. Can you share a little bit what that means and the historical context of it? And I just want to share this quote that in my research, I found um, Trisha Hersey, the founder of the nap ministry said, sleep is really a human right. And that resting is part of our divine right. And I love that, that she said that because She's completely right, you know, so I just wanted to hear your your, your thoughts about that.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Um, you know, it's become a pretty popular concept, especially on the Internet. But, you know, too often ideas created by women of color are co-opted without giving credit to them. So I don't believe that I can have this conversation without me personally acknowledging and giving full credit to our Nat Bishop, um, Trisha Hersey, for the ideas that she has pioneered in the activism she continues for people but especially people of color to reclaim our right to rest um I think you know I've taken a lot of inspiration from her work and I know a lot of us in the field have um but you know I think that in our burnout causing work culture because I think that's what it is right now like our work culture causes burnout for a lot of us yeah I think we're continually asked to do more with less we're asked to deny ourselves while producing for others. Yeah. And it all reinforces a mentality that, you know, we are not yet deserving. We're taught that everything must be earned. I think I mentioned earlier, rather than we are already worthy of good things. We're already yeah. worthy of dignity. We're already worthy of having fulfilling lives. Yeah. That's not something that we have to reach and then get, you know, it is where we arrive worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so in such a paradigm, you know, reclaiming your rest is a form of resistance. Mm -hmm. um, And that resistance ultimately is liberation from these harmful societal and work structures. Mm -hmm. Um, Of particular importance to uh, black indigenous people of color, that community is the effort I think to dial back and um, to reprogram really what for centuries we've been indoctrinated to believe is that rest does not belong to us.
2: Yeah.
1: Maybe because culture is passed generationally, or from inherited trauma, I think as people of color, we are, for one reason or another, we tie our worthiness to how much we can work, and we work harder, and we work faster, and we work for less pay. Our counterparts, and yeah. this documented. You know, it's time for us to reclaim our worthiness and to unchain that sense of worthiness from our ability to work and produce. Um, and center our own rest, our own enjoyment, our own fulfillment in the way we deserve. And that kind of thing, this is liberatory. So I'm a huge believer that we are our ancestors' wildest dreams. And you might've like seen that quote, heard of that. I think it's kind of all over the internet, yeah. but I really take it very seriously. And I believe that we are because we have the power to reclaim the rest we always deserved you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Really, yeah, when I read her interviews, I thought that, you know, everything she said was just also very, very enlightening, but also what she said about, like, capitalism building on that capitalism is, was essentially built, historically, was essentially built on the work and labor of, you know, people of color. I thought that was, like, that's so true, and a lot of Asian people came during the gold rush and were, you know, were, like, immigrants were, had these okay. uh, very laborious work where they were also, I think this whole concept of rest is also really foreign to them. So yeah, I really like when I saw that quote, I was like, yeah, it is a human right that it's, it's part of our divine right. Like everyone has a right to rest kind of going on, on the topic of rest. I, you know, through my research, I saw that the American Academy of sleep medicine recommend that we get at least seven hours of sleep every night. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's right? And like another question, second part to this question that I have, can we catch up on sleep?
1: Yeah, I'm familiar with that. American Academy of Sleep Medicine, recommendation. Yeah. and I think the recommendation for seven hours a night for adults, healthy adults, um, I think that recommendation is an absolute minimum. I don't think it's like this is how much you should sleep. I think yeah. like that is how much you can sleep to remain healthy, mm. you know. And some of us will require more and probably need a little bit more than that when we can get it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in certain professions, seven hours. A sleep is a luxury you know I understand
0: especially medicine I presume like that's
1: and finance and all also yeah. yeah we don't put a premium on sleep the way we probably yeah. should um but to address the question can we catch up on sleep yeah. um yes and no um in my experience you know you you know a few hours of sleep lost you can catch up maybe pulling an all-nighter once in a week yeah you can catch up on that sleep but you know Chronic and continuous loss of sleep creates a sleep deficit, you know, and at a certain amount, it, you're not able to catch up on it anymore. The body just keeps going. And the sort of like rest time that your cells would have needed, you know, to do their thing at night while you're sleeping, regenerate, digest, all sorts of stuff like that. That's just gone. I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, when I was in residency, um, as many people listening to this podcast will know like residency you are required to work 80 to 100 hour weeks for multiple years. Oh, wow! Um, and uh, I developed a sleep disorder um, during that time. I mean, there are times when you're working 36 hours nonstop, you know, awake for 36 hours, taking care of patients before you can go home. Um, and, you know, I was having a lot of trouble just like Intense drowsiness and fatigue in the mornings. And I finally went to a sleep doctor and had a sleep study done. Um, And I never expected this, but I actually had a a sleep condition called delayed sleep phase syndrome. Oh, and so they explained it, that my circadian rhythm had shifted two to four hours um, away from the normal. So I could never initiate sleep. This is for years, could not initiate sleep until one or two o'clock in the morning, no matter what, even if I hadn't worked that day, right. I couldn't initiate sleep until much later than other people are able to. And that was the sh- my circadian rhythm had just shifted almost four hours. And so um, that, that's an example where like, you know, chronic sleep deprivation, I was not able to make up for it. And then I developed a sleep condition where my body adjusted to it. You know what I mean? Wow. It was like, yeah. okay, this is how we're going to live. Then yeah. this is what the brain is going to do um but you know once you get out of residency <laughs> that kind of sleep is not conducive so
2: yeah.
1: but yeah i mean that's an example so you know I, I think on a on a smaller level you can catch up on sleep but chronic sleep deprivation can be really harmful
0: was that caused by like stress or and how are you are you do you still is that something that you still struggle with or have you like
1: fixed yourself I didn't fix myself. I had a doctor, a sleep doctor, um, yeah. who was really wonderful. Um, it wasn't cause, I, I mean, yeah, stress can cause a lot of things, yeah. but I, at the time, attributed this to the just literally the sleep deprivation of working right. in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, there were certain months where I work a 36-hour shift every three days. And so it's it, it just, <laughs> for 30 yeah. days, it's too bad for you. Um, I think it was the loss of sleep and lack of like a consistent sleep routine that caused that. Yeah. Um, I don't know necessarily the stress, but my sleep physician said that it was just the bad sleep schedule. Um, Um, Yes. And I, I've been, you know, I'm lucky uh, and blessed to have had that sleep physician. And it's not a problem for me anymore, but it did take years to resolve that.
0: My next question was actually this, that could be the answer to it. If you, if you had any like wild stories that you can share, um, you know, from, from your experience, you know, clinical work, or even now as a coach where you're like, wow, this is like, like rest is so important. But if you have any other ones that you want to share?
1: Yeah. I guess like, um, I had a client who, um, was feeling really burnt out with her job and was ready to make changes, but for economic reasons, wasn't able to just like up and leave her job and find something else, you know? Um, and she had a lot of feelings of, uh, unworthiness when it comes to reward and rest. And when we first started working together, I asked her, you know, when's the last, and she has a two-year-old, I'm a toddler. Um, and I said, when was the last time, like, you did something just for yourself? And she's like, what do you mean? She didn't even really understand the question. Um, and I was like, you know, when's the last time that you were engaged in an activity that wasn't for your family, wasn't for your husband, wasn't for your job. and wasn't for your son. It was like for you. Um, and it was a difficult question for her. Um, because she wasn't spending much time engaging with anything that was like self-care or just feeding herself, like enjoying. Um, And so my work with her, I realized that like, you know, it start you, we have to start small. Um, This person who for, you know, her circumstances don't allow huge shifts um, in behavior. And so, you know, we started with, we were meeting every week and I said, Hey, you know, in the interim until I see you next time, I want you to find five minutes in the day where you were doing something that's just for you, yeah. you know, whatever it is, you know, it was like it could be making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, because that's what you like to do. Or it could be, you know, anything you know. Um, and uh, you know, she went up to me, she did 10 minutes a day, and she found a spot in the middle of the day when she didn't have to take care of her her child and she was working at home where she could take a 10 minute bath. And she hadn't like sat in a bath for years. Wow. wow. And, It's something that she loves to do. And she started doing that 10 minutes every day. um, And then, you know, got back in the habit of being able to carve out time for herself and feel like it was appropriate to do so. And, you know, she was able to carve out half an hour in the middle of each day. When she went to like pick up her son, she would actually hop on her bicycle, which she had stopped riding years ago, ride to the daycare preschool and pick him up and put him in a carrier and bring him home on the bike. That was part of her self-care yeah. being outside and the bike riding. And it was stress relieving. And these were like really small things. Yeah. Like,
2: yeah.
1: Up to doing half an hour of something for yourself a day. Um, but, you know, eventually, I mean, what, within a month or two, um, you know, she has a different job now. You know, she left that thing yeah. that was really harmful for her. She's still in her profession, but in a different capacity and is feeling, you know, really feeling like, this job, this position is a little bit better for, or a lot better for her self-care, for her mental health. She's not burned out anymore. Um, And it started by understanding and remembering and acknowledging that she can reward herself.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. It reminds me of James Clear's book, like Atomic Habits, about like building like little little habits and implementing and then, you know, building on them. So that's great. That's really great um i guess coming to the end of our podcast this was so so great but i have one more question for you if there's one routine you want everyone to implement in their daily lives today like if you can you know like wave a magic wand and everyone needs to do this one thing what would it be
1: i don't i don't know if you're going to be happy with my answer it's kind of like um I keep it general because it's, you know my advice is tailored specifically to individual people yeah. you know that I work with. But if there's one thing, I'm a big believer in having part of your day that is routine. Yeah. Uh, some consistency, something similar that you do every day. Um, and I like to guide clients in establishing a part of their day, whether the beginning, the middle, or the end, where you're spending a period of time that you're doing something that nourishes you. Yeah. Something that. Like with my other client, that is not tied to your worthiness, that's not tied to your job, that's not tied to your identity and how you see yourself and how you think you're supposed to behave. Mm -hmm. Something that's just for you. Um, And you know, for some of us, like some days my days are very, sometimes my days are very packed. And I I do this, you know, I like to have a morning routine where, as you can see, I'm drinking tea. I'm like I drink tea all the time. Um, I have tea in the morning um, and I write some sort of reflection. I really enjoy writing. And so that's something that helps me feel like me, no matter what's going on with my day, no matter how stressed I am, no matter what's on my plate, I know that like I'm still doing this thing that makes Azad feel like Azad. Um, And I think that really creates a self-awareness. It's a mindfulness activity. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that that you could do in that period of time is a mindfulness activity because you're focused on the self. Um, And I think that really opens up a lot for people and promotes self-care when we can do that.
0: So, what's next for you? Is there anything else you you want to share on your any upcoming or big venture for, for big plans for this year?
1: We are getting a puppy, so that's really exciting. Yeah, that is um, a in personal life, yeah. So yeah. Um, that's really exciting. Um, the puppy's like four, two weeks old now, so we have to wait till eight weeks before we can bring the puppy home.
0: Oh,
1: okay. But, uh, what kind, of, a, what
0: kind of breed is that?
1: a Bernadoodle. So a cross between a poodle and a Bernese mountain dog.
0: Oh, wow. That sounds so yeah. cute. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Beautiful dog. We're very yeah. excited about On the professional fear, what's next for me? You know, I am, um, I'm working clinical medicine, seeing, you know, taking care of patients about 70% of my time and 30% of the time is coaching. Yeah. I'm hoping that by the end of the summer. So over the next six months, um, I bring that more to 50, 50, I'd like to decrease my clinical hours even further and take on more clients. Um, I think that would be like almost perfect balance for me once I can get it to 50, 50 in terms of time spent, uh, in each pursuit. So, um, I'm also really interested in, um, speaking opportunities. Um, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about this kind of work and I have a lot drawn from personal experience with burnout um and so i'm hoping to uh um have more speaking engagements i have been booked to speak at a conference in pittsburgh Amazing. Um, it's actually a conference um uh called entheocon it's about psychedelics in medicine oh cool um and uh there's a burnout sort of um i think it might be a panel in terms of work exhaustion and the role of different alternative medicines including psychedelics in helping people manage that and deal with the effects of burnout. So I'm looking forward to that in August. And, um, but yeah, more speaking opportunities. I love to talk about it.
0: Cool. Thank you so much. I think this was a long overdue and I'm so glad that we get to do it. So
1: thank you so much. Let's do it again.
0: That's it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay tuned for our next episode. If you have any questions or feedback, email us at hello at theholisticpanda.com. Bye.